Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crimecast, a weekly briefing featuring the latest news, updates, and insights from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spoda-Kindle, VP of Product Development with ACFCS, and I'm going to start off this episode with what may or may not be an odd question. Have you ever been disappointed with artificial intelligence in the financial crime compliance space? If the answer is yes, then you're in good company with our guest on today's program, Simon Moss, CEO of Symphony Ayasti AI. Powerful tools like AI and machine learning hold a lot of promise in financial crime compliance, but there's a strong argument to be made that in some instances, there's been a lot of overpromising and under-delivering with these technologies. But are things changing? Are AI solutions more mature than they were a few years ago? And are regulators more willing to accept tech innovation than ever before? We'll explore all this and so much more in this freewheeling conversation, so let's get right to it. Simon, thank you so much for joining us on the Crimecast. If you don't mind, can you start out by giving us some background on your experience in this space? Well, Brian, thanks for inviting me, first of all. Um, Yeah, uh, I I think... um, uh, uh, eclectic career. I think the police would call it spotty. It's probably an appropriate term. Um, but been either involved or on the periphery of financial crime uh, and the uh, discovery and interdiction of financial crime for the last 20 odd years. Um, ran a company, uh, turned around a company and then sold a company to Oracle called Mantis um, from 2002 to 2006. Um, great company, great team. Um, was one of the, the leading definers of malfeasant behavior detection, malignancy detection. Um, uh, I won't give an opinion on what Oracle did with it, but don't blame me. Um, somebody else that messed that up. Um, and, you know, and, and over the last year, you know, went in and out of, of, of other companies. Um, over the last year, I've taken over a firm called Yazdi, um, a, a company of a, a, a incredible IP. Uh, I've said this. Uh, multiple times. And and I've had the whole team focused during the COVID period, where it was a little slower, of course, as we re-engineered our focus. And and we kicked off a project using our oncological teams. We have a big healthcare practice, our pharmaceutical teams, pharmaceutical research, and focused on a project called Decoding the Financial Crime Genome. In other words, for the last 20 years, we have been using rule systems to identify behaviors or crimes that we knew about in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, anybody that gets caught with structuring or velocity or any of these rules is is an idiot and and those people don't exist. We we need a whole fresh look at how to discover, identify, qualify and explain, you know, adversaries of significant dynamism and of significant intelligence. We need a wholesale upgrade of the financial crimes practice. And, and that is what Ayazdi is intending to do and is doing. Excellent. I love it. Uh, we are uh, at ACFC is all about innovation and innovative approaches. Um, and I, I could never more that there's a ton of room to improve. Um, and I think everybody out there really feels that. I think, you know, we've asked the question quite a bit over the years. Do you think we're improving results in no. detecting and preventing financial crime and the result and the answer is almost always no nobody really no, feels like we're getting better not. at at best we're treading water so um so no, we're not you know, great we're, to we're, see yeah no. you know at the floaties that we're using are slowly losing air um, 
so uh, you know, un- un- unfortunately, um, you know, we have extremely sticky legacy systems in transaction monitoring systems. Incredibly sticky, incredibly difficult to get out. Um, and they're rebranding themselves consistently. You know, I, I laugh at the AI market. I really do. You know, we, it, it, an AI company need is, needs to have had real troubles in its past because that's what innovation is all about. It's not a straight line. It's a zigzag. It steps back and steps forward. We've had plenty of them at EASD, and, and we own it. That, that's, what a, that's what an invention-based company is all about. You make mistakes. So I'm, I'm just astounded about the capital and the rebranding of firms that have been around for years or have just had rehashed old technology and, hey, presto, they're an AI company. It's, it should be very shameless. <laughs> of that. And, 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 and many of those failed projects, as 85% of AI projects fail, according to Gartner, and I think they're right, has created a very bitter taste in, in the banking community. And, and mm-hmm. they should be angry about the appalling waste of money that they've put into some of these systems um mm-hmm. uh you know not with the we you know we, we put our money where our mouth is um we, we don't do projects more than four months and so if simon moss is lying to you you're gonna know about it in four months time um luckily <laughs> luckily touch wood everything's going great anyway i'm babbling a bit but yeah innovation is desperately needed in this yes. space desperately because there is a ton of innovation. The problem is, it's not on the good guy's side. It's on mm-hmm. the bad guy's side. So, you know, we're, we're looking really hard at NFTs now. We're looking at the way, you know, obviously the, the social media platforms, but more importantly, the, the gaming platforms are being used around pedophilia and sex trafficking. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just extraordinary how, how, how innovation is being driven by these people. Yes, um, yeah, I mean, they are early and fast adopters of any new technology or yep. mechanism to move value, so it's just, you know, creates a incredible pressure on the the good guy side, so to speak, to try to move, you know, half as half as nimbly and quickly. Um, you know, one of the yes, things that yes, consistently yes. one of the things that consistently um, you know, we hear as kind of the hold up to innovation, and as you mentioned there's legacy systems, um, there's just sheer investment and will power to do it. Um, but there's also regulatory pressure. Um, and this is, con- you know, this is, this is pointed to um, quite frequently as, yeah, I would love to do it, but I don't feel like there's regulatory support or I'm worried that I'm going to get dinged. Um, so do you think there is enough regulatory support to innovate in financial crime detection or do you think they can do more? And I recognize the answer might vary significantly based on jurisdiction and the, regu- the specific regulators we're talking about. But on the whole, on average, what's what's your take on it? Well, it, you're right. It's a very complicated answer. I, I think if, if you want a, a broad brush answer, the answer is the regulators are not innovating. They're, they're not driving innovation. It is extremely slow. You know, a lot of people are declaring victory around a bipartisan act in the NDAA uh, around um, in the U.S., but it's been 20 years since the Patriot Act. So it's taken 20 years to really upgrade all of that element, and very little of it is really focusing on um, you know how to drive innovation to discover and stop. And so the, that there's really two two areas of of friction that you have in the banks and then you have the execution area so let's start with the two two areas you have the regulators and you have the tone from the top financial crime 
prevention. And it's not really financial crime. Let's try and get that definition sorted out. Fraud is a financial crime. And it's direct money being stolen from an institution. What we're talking about here in AML and in pedophilia and in sex and human trafficking, this is the facilitation of crime through the banking system. So it's not really financial crime. This is the banking system being used to facilitate some of the most heinous things on the planet, slavery. And, and there is a disconnect. And, and, and I must admit, I get very annoyed talking to bankers who say, well, we're executing what the regulators want. We're executing the rule of the law. This shouldn't be a rule of the law issue. This should be a spirit of the law. This should be a mission to be able to say our institution is being leveraged and used and arbitraged for them, some of the most heinous human conduct imaginable. And we need to stop it. And so tone from the top is a big deal within the banks to say, we want to be recognized as, a, as, as institutions that take this seriously and seek to execute on the mission. Because in, in my opinion, the listeners to this podcast, Brian, are as impactful to our adversaries than some poor sod sitting in a tank in a desert somewhere. And we can make a real difference. What we need, though, is we need um, a, a real focus at saying we should not be following the regulators. We should be driving the regulators to innovation. And we need to reverse that. And, and, and so, number one, I, I think that we need to, to, to change the direction of innovation, not wait for the regulators to tell us what to do, but to do it. Number two, I think that will increase cadence so that we'll be able to, to, to be able to catch up on the dynamism of, of our adversaries because you don't want to put a major AML law out every 20 years. <laughs> Frankly, it, it, it's pointless. And, and the other, I think, is important is that we need to establish some synchronicity between the institutions. This is not a competitive mm -hmm. issue. This is a systemic existential threat. We need to be able to share information and, and, and work together much more efficiently than we have done in the past. Now, don't get me wrong, I think NDAA has passed some really good stuff. I think the whistleblower stuff is awesome. I think human intelligence is always incredibly important. And the over-reliance on systems in this market can, can be, uh, you know, can, can, cannot be necessarily advantageous. I think we're increasing the penalties, but the penalties are always gonna be looked at the cost of doing business. We need to change that mentality. So, you know, overall, I, I think there's some significant disconnects between what the regulators want, how we execute it, and overall, how we work together in that execution. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes and there's sense. Been some... I babbled a little bit then. But I no, it makes complete sense. I mean, I think, I think there's been some efforts to address that disconnect, but I think, as you probably know, we have a lot further to go. And I think, you know, even if you look at something like the ML Act, there's, there's, there are some, some first steps towards building much stronger feedback loops between, you know, public and private, for example, through um, increased feedback on what SARS or STRs for listeners in other countries are, are valuable. Um, and I know public-private partnership has been a big theme in, for example, the UK with, uh, yeah, with like the, yeah, the Joint Money Laundering Intelligence Sharing yeah. Task Force um, and that type of thing. So so we're, we're moving maybe some small halting steps in the directions of that collaborative approach. But I really like what you said about not, you know, relying on anybody else to really 
sit back and drive that, but push uh, forward, you know, as an industry, as a, as a financial industry to encourage that innovation and, and direct that innovation. Because you're totally right. It is a push and pull between regulators and regulated institutions. It's not like um, it's just one direction or one rate at all. So, um, yeah. so some you, quick you, points you, in there. You said something important, uh, which I missed. Um, which was, we don't want to be, af we're afraid of being dinged for what we discover. That is a horrendous mentality and, and, and a perfectly logical one. And the regulators need to deal with that with some urgency because you can't have mm -hmm. a disconnect with the central regulators. And now with new leadership at the FDIC, new leadership at FinCEN, we're beginning to see, you know, more consideration about, hold on a minute, we've got to get better in the way that we articulate requirements. We've got to get better in the way that we use technology. I think the FCA in, in the UK and certainly the Europeans get a much better cadence, a much, you know, a driving more innovation as well. But I, I think there needs to be a message that says, if you discover something new, that's a good thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> And, you know, and, and I've definitely had conversations with bankers that sort of say, look, we're, you know, we'd like to do this, but we're genuinely concerned about getting slaughtered and made an example of by the regulators. And that is particularly the foreign banks in the U.S. Mm -hmm. they, they, they genuinely feel concerned and, and they should be. And so I think, you know, uh, to, to solve this, the regulators have to be clear to say, hold on, we need to build an innovation ecosystem in which we're all contributing. Um, uh, you know, and, and technology companies like ours are obviously part of that. But in the end, there's a lot of conversation that needs to go to give confidence in the, in the assessment criteria and in the penalties. So if you've deliberately avoided something, you should get slaughtered. I mean, <laughs> slaughtered. But if you're actively investing in driving things forward and discovering elements that help the firm and help the system, then you should not be afraid of getting dinged. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's I think that's a fantastic point. And if you look at something like you know the software industry, for example, that has a completely different mentality about <laughs> finding failures or finding issues, right? You, you get you you get like things like bug bounties where you get paid money if you find a problem, right? Versus uh, versus you know, but getting penalized if you find a problem. So that that type of thing, I think you know, would be very interesting to shift shift in the the, the thought process in that direction, but. Um, well, I, I, put a LinkedIn, I, I put a LinkedIn article out about six years ago that said all the fines, the fines need to be doubled and all the fines need to go into a pool. And that pool needs to be needs to fund firms and businesses that are doing the right thing. So you're absolutely mm. right. Like a head headhunter fee. Mm, um, I love it. And uh, no, every, uh, yeah, you may have loved it. Everybody else thought it was stupid. So uh, <laughs> but, but, but that was a few years ago. Let's float it. Let's float it again and see what people think. Let, let us know in the comments here if you think that, that times have changed. Um, uh, so uh, to switch gears a little bit, uh, we've been talking about this, you know, uh, you referenced it in kind of the the first what there's been this sort of first wave of AI solutions um, and first wave of, you know, machine learning or what various titles um, applied to financial crime problems. And, you know, some of it was substantive. A lot of it, as you properly note, was not so substantive and not so successful. Um, so uh, where are we at in terms of 
market adoption. Where has uh, market adoption reached for some of these, you know, more innovative tech solutions? And how much further do we have to go? I think I can't remember the exact vernacular, Brian, but I think we're in the trough of disappointment. Whatever that, <laughs> that uh, whatever that curve is, yeah, I, I really do. I, I think the, I, I think the AI market chased too much money. I think there was too much promise. Um, uh, I, I think that we have way too many firms that are overcapitalized, um, uh, and and I think we're going to see a. You know, a, a reasonable number of failures and a reasonable amount of consolidation over the next few years. But to answer your question, we have a really, really long way to go. Uh, why? <laughs> the the competitive market topography is very different at the, with, with this. Um, uh, you know, the genesis of, of AI has come out very much through the academic route. Um, and, and, and a lot of those individuals have been hired into the firms themselves. So the banks themselves feel that they can solve this. And so, you know, many of the competitors that we have, we run into unbelievably smart people internally to the banks who suddenly go, oh, I got this toolkit from Google. I can do anything. Well, you, it, it, is a jack, it is a brilliant jack of all trades, these, these toolkits, data robots, C3, all this sort of stuff. Um, but it's a master of none. And the problem is you're brilliant at applying the knowledge that you have of your firm to the problem. Mm -hmm. the, the, so the second categories are the software companies themselves who's, who have an amalgam of multiple firms' knowledge integrated. And so they are the best representation of the system and the ability to solve the problem across the system. Um, the, the problem there is... It's been dominated by five firms over the last 20 years, one of which was, was mine. And they are very sticky, as I said earlier. And there's been a sense of, frankly, arrogance from these firms, because, and they've improved nothing. And what's happened is they've turned into services firms that simply sell upgrades. Um, so those firms need to be replaced. And you can't replace one with the other. You can't replace one steam engine with another steam engine. The day of the transaction monitoring system is over. Um, it, they, they were an amazing first start, an amazing rung in the ladder. The problem is we haven't been climbing up the rest of the ladder. So the new rungs are these, these new AI companies. And, and there are several. The, the first is essentially consultancy firms that say they're an AI company. So they turn up with a box, but you open the box and there's five or six consultants running like nobody's business inside it. We all know who those firms are uh, and, and repeatability for them is, is problematic. Uh, and you end up with a bespoke solution. You end up with a custom solution that is difficult to manage further down the road. Then you've got over really, really well capitalized firms. There's about 600 of them now just doing all over the place. Now, many of them are focusing in the wrong place. They're focusing on false positives. A false positive is not the problem. A false positive is the symptom of a problem. The problem is we're crap at discovering risk. The systems are rubbish at actually finding the, the, the problem, actually discovering the malignancy. And so that's why you have 98% false positives on average from a TMS. Don't focus on solving that problem. Focus on fixing the discovery element to find these, these, uh, the, these crimes, these attacks, these malignancies. 
That's what we've done. If you solve that, the false positive issue looks after itself because it just goes away. And so when we focus at false positives, we actually institutionalize the very risks that we're trying to find because we're dismissing stuff. So you need systems that don't look for a needle in a haystack. That, that's easy. You know, you just need a really, really big magnet. What you have to do is you have to find a needle in a stack of needles. <laughs> you, need, you have to find these people that look the same, that are deliberately obfuscating behavior, that are deliberately looking the same as everything else. And because of COVID, this is even worse now. The amount of shell companies, the amount mm. of identities that have been stolen. We have a really, really difficult challenge ahead of us. And so we have to really, Brian, change the way we're looking at these. And there are, I think, five or six firms. Uh, Yazdi is one of them. Um, uh, uh, I'm not going to say the other four. They, those buggers can go market themselves. Um, <laughs> but there's five or six firms that will be able to define this future. The problem is there's too much bloody noise out there at the moment. There's too many people making too many promises. And so I, I, I put it to the bankers on this call. You have to make sure that what is delivered is delivered to production in four months or under. Because if you can't do that, you know that they can't deliver on the, on the promises that they're making you. This is not just a modeling challenge anymore. This is a TCO challenge. This is a time to value challenge. We cannot deploy solutions in the same way as we did in the 1970s, which is this death march towards data homogenization. They come in, promise all these amazing things, and they go, oh, by the way, can you make all the data look like this, please? And you start that. 80 cents in the dollar project of trying to make all the data look a certain way. We have innovated our way, not just in modeling, not just in discovery, but in implementation as well. And so it is a really important point that we, you need to look at how things are implemented because we've had 30 years of improvement factored into that as well as the data science and the discovery components. So when you talk about the difference between all these 600 firms, the difference has to be how quick can I get it in? How invasive is it? How does it change my workflows? And how quickly can I actually realize the value? Then you can begin to see the difference between these different firms. Yeah, no, that's, I'm really, that's... These are incredibly long answers. I'm really sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not at all. Switched, every, no, everybody switched off by now going, Jesus, Mark is just <laughs> babbling They're on very... again. They're very thoughtful answers, and they're, I, li I like that you're giving, uh, you know, particularly the financial institutions, some tangible criteria to actually make these choices when they consider, you know, I forget who I was talking to at a bank once who said, um, you know, if a vendor comes in and, and tells you how they're going to reduce, you know, how, how much they're going to reduce your false positive rate by uh, before they ever look at your, you know, problem and data, then tell them to yeah. get lost, right? Because yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what we call, you know, reduce your false positive rate by 90% without knowing anything else about it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that, that, they're lying to you. You know, don't get me wrong, <laughs> false positive reduction can, can be done. We just don't focus on it. To us, mm -hmm. false positives look after themselves. If you have solved the transparency problem, that's mm -hmm. what we've focused on. That's why we had oncological and pharmaceutical research teams on this to say, find, deal with the signal in the noise. That's what mm -hmm. we need to, to, to deal with. All this other stuff will look after itself. Stop focusing on just getting false positives. Because if you do that, it forces you into bad behavior. Bad behavior. Yes. 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a great point, um, and I think it's really interesting to see this kind of cross industry perspective and insights from from other fields that you're bringing to the the problem. Um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about something that that uh, created additional challenges, and you noted that it's gotten worse since the pandemic. Um, there was a huge shift into digitalization brought on by COVID um, much more suddenly and in an accelerated time frame than a lot of institutions planned for, maybe almost all. Um, and there were certain processes, especially, you know, KYC, customer onboarding, um, online, through online channels that exposed financial institutions to, you know, unprecedented levels of attacks through, uh, whether that's account takeover or um, attacks with a mobile app or ID fraud of many various flavors. So um, what have financial institutions done to address this? And how do you see this being resolved going forward? You know, we're obviously in some places we're not done with the pandemic. I guess all over the world we're not done with the pandemic, but um, different places are at various stages. But what what comes next? What what is it going to look like going forward? Um, the, uh, the, the it's an interesting question. Uh, let me try and answer it in in three elements. Um, you know, number one, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. It is a golden age to be a financial criminal. Just golden. The, um, you know, the amount of businesses that are pseudo shell companies at this point is tragic. You know, family businesses, you know, well-run businesses that just hit the wall a year ago. Individuals can turn up. Certainly, we have a lot of examples coming out of Italy. Uh, there are other examples in, in the major money laundering centers. Individuals turning up saying, hey, listen, I'll give you 110 cents to the dollar, um, but this is what, you know, we want to control the business. So, you, so, so you, you don't necessarily have a control of ownership, but you have a control of, um, uh, sorry, you have a change of ownership, you have a change of control. So shell companies, big, big explosion. They are already in the financial system. They are already establishing relationship, and there need to be a new, new set of red flags around being able to identify them. Now, interestingly enough, some of those red flags are fairly obvious. Um, you know, we've been working with banks, uh, certainly involving lawyers, involving accountants. Those sort of red flags can, 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 can identify them, but there are plenty, plenty of that. The, the second area on it is identity theft. Um, uh, you know, and, and that comes into elder abuse as well. You know, the amount of identities that have been stolen is astonishing. We are not even close to the top of that wave yet. And I think that we will be inundated with significant amounts of fraudulent identities. I think the credit card companies need to really be looking at really, really hard at that. Um, uh, and, and then the third element, I think, is we're, we're focusing very much on, um, uh, you know, d direct theft. Um, you know, if you look at TARP and during the Obama years, they expected about 10%, and that was a well-executed um, uh, uh, stimulus plan. Uh, the, you know, close to $4 trillion that we've thrown into the economy over the last year has not been well-executed. We literally just threw, threw it in. Everybody made claims. And, and so, you know, even if it was 10%, that's $600 billion. That's half a trillion dollars that's been stolen from this economy that we've got to somehow work out how to pay back. And the interesting thing is, to, to my point, nobody quite knows who's liable for that at the moment. And I think that we're going to, you know, the Justice Department 
are going to have to look at this and say, well, are the banks responsible, even though we weren't, we didn't necessarily say they were responsible, but they are the custodians of the payment, and therefore there is some degree of responsibility. Or does the government write all this off and say, hey, this is your, your fault, you took the liability? I think the Justice Department is going to find that out. But to, <laughs> to, your, to, to the point, your point, um, there is a significant amount of newly embedded crime, not necessarily opportunist crime. You know, these people that buy Lamborghinis and Bucatis in Florida, these people are morons, all right? So, you know, e- e- easy to catch. Um, I think that sovereign nation activity, hyper threat organizations like the big terrorist organizations, the narco economy have been able to penetrate the financial system much more effectively over the last year. And they are much better than they were this time last year at being able to leverage and arbitrage that industry. Mm-hmm. The question you have to ask, Brian, is have we commensurately improved ourselves? Well, that's the digitalization. Uh, I think the answer is no. Um, uh, But what we have seen is a significant acceleration of digital strategies within within the institutions. Um, uh, I think that we need to be aware of um, activities of individuals in distributed teams. I think that there is some significant exposure when it comes to corruption and extortion. Um, You know, people working from home on their personal laptops, um, you know, on, on their personal networks, you know, these things leak through. They're not as secure as on, on-prem deployments. Um, and, and so I think that we have some issues there as well. But the good news is, is that we have accelerated digitalization. And what that means is the foundations to be better are, are there. So we're, we're a long way behind. They have accelerated ahead of us over the last year. But we've put, you know, it, it isn't all bad. We've put some good things in place that distributed teams can work together more efficiently, that we can move data around more effectively, uh, and, and that there is, you know, a new wave of innovation that can be deployed non-invasively that can be leveraged by these distributed teams. And the cloud companies need to get a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about the need for innovation and the the pressing demand for it and uh, uh you know covid was that that pressing demand um, and it was good to see the industry you know step up and address it so um we know we can rise to a challenge and hopefully we can uh we can rise to the next challenge of of the explosion of fraud and financial crime that's come during and in the wake of the pandemic um so you know you mentioned that that you've seen some successes um, you've seen some some quick wins with your clients applying uh, some of this next gen technology that we've been discussing throughout this session. So, uh, can you do you have an example to share um, of quick wins or a quick win or quick yeah, wins that yeah, your clients yeah. have seen and uh, any unexpected? Of course, or I have. <laughs> what a silly question! Of course, I have. Um, it's it's very interesting. We, we work with bankers who I consider very brave. Um, they, they don't need to do these projects. They've got good, crisp attaboys from the regulators. Well done, all good. But they come and they speak to us to say, we know what the project you're doing, and, and we know we are missing so much. We know that you know eventually that curve is going to catch us, and so we want to be ahead of the curve. We actually want to innovate. 
that's actually quite rare um, uh, at the moment. So, you know, a couple of projects I think are worthwhile talking about. First of all, correspondent banking, uh, trade-based money laundering, correspondent banking is, you know, obviously the big exposure. Um, and, and what we've applied is what was called unsupervised learning into the data um, uh, data pipeline. So we take any data, uh, any format, we don't care. Uh, we're not interested in forcing the client to make their data look a certain way. Because when you force a client to make data look a certain way, you're immediately applying bias into the analysis. You're immediately saying to the data, this is what I want you to tell me. Instead, we want the data to volunteer the information to say, hey, this is what is important to you. So this is particularly important in poor quality poor data quality environments like correspondent banking. You got the swift message. So we found that we can generate, uh, you know, a, hard, a double in to close to a treble in of what we call the informational yield or the yield of relevant information from the data. You know, we call out Doug Lanier in economics for that. Um, so on the whole, on average, I'll keep it low, we double the amount of information out of data. Multi-dimensional data. That's a big deal because all of a sudden we've got a big transparency opportunity. So your average rule system has about 80 different features. Uh, your average machine learning supervised system has a couple of hundred, which is pretty good. You're saying, hey, I want to I find a pen. And it comes back with an arrow. It comes back with a pencil. It comes back with a rocket. And you teach it. As soon as you teach it, you're creating bias. Uh, what we've generated, same numbers, about 21 to 22,000 different features, different connections, different relationships within multidimensional data that allows us to really look into this more. We've then patented five new models based on oncological research and malignancy detection um, that really looks into this and finds risk finds these areas of attack that have been hidden and, and essentially enables us to be able to say, all right, well, here's a topography of risk. Um, we are big fans of graph machine learning. Uh, we love the Neo4j stuff. Um, we're big fans of inference engines. We're big fans of topological data analysis. And we have bleeding edge data science really focused at that, which means two things. One, our Christmas party is incredibly boring. But two, more importantly, we are, we are solving stuff that people think, think they can't solve. Um, so, and then the third is, you know, uh, making that science consumable so that a business investigator can say, okay, I get that, I understand it, it's a pleasure to use. And so those are three areas that we've really focused in, in innovation, you know, squeezing out as much information out of the data as possible. Stop asking the client for more data. Stop it, because <laughs> that just destroys the project. Just actually squeeze out what you need to squeeze out, out of the data that's already available. So we use exactly the same data as a, as a regular TMS. But the second is make sure that you're innovating away from the rules. The rules are good for the edges these days, but the models are the ones that are discovering the real crimes. And third, yeah. make it consumable. And as a result, correspondent bank, uh, a 20% increase in what we call L3s, which are investigative crimes. Uh, 97% of those L3s were actual crime, including internal um, facilitated employee activities. Um, 
uh, a 20% increase in suspicious activity reports as a direct relationship to that, and an 84% reduction in false positives. A 500% increase or improvement in the effectiveness of this FIU. Um, I put the false positives as last because they are simply a result of an outstanding ability to drive transparency into your discovery and detection approaches. So that's mm -hmm. what we've focused on. Second one, global retail bank, uh, multiple millions of clients, um, uh, able to discover, um, I can't remember the exact numbers, I apologize, but it was again in the 20 to 30% increase in the amount of risk discovered 100% of the TMS risk discovered. So we discovered all of that. The interesting thing is a lot of that we discovered up to a year earlier than the TMS had. Then we added an additional 30% of, hey, these are true crimes that you're completely missing. It added to multiple billions of dollars of exposure. And, as, and, and because of that, because of the focus and the productivity of the detection the false positives went down almost 80%. And, mm -hmm. and another, again, so, and by the way, we contract with our clients on this. Because if we come in and go, oh, you know, um, uh, we're going to do this and do that, well, let's put our money where our mouth is. If we can't actually deliver on the results that we're agreeing, the success criteria that we're agreeing, then you shouldn't be paying us. You've got to get the bullshit out of this market. You've got to actually deliver on what you say you're going to deliver. You've got to stop pretending that you got a product, but really you're just a consultant desperately trying to build a product on the client's dime. Get, get, get out of the way and let some people solve this damn problem. Because the one thing I'm going to say, Brian, is everybody listening on this or all, all your certified crime specialists, these are people that actually want to solve this. They actually want to do this. They may not want to you know, go so far as to put themselves out of a job, they, which is impossible, but they do want to solve this. And, and I think there is a, there's an institutional frustration out there that says, can, can people just stop lying to us? Can people actually prove the value to us? And so both of those projects in the 500% improvement of the FI, FIU's effectiveness were both executed in four months from deployment. So in other words, when the damn thing's actually been put into the environment or the data's been moved into the cloud, we don't care, through to, here's your results, do you want to go global? Four months. <laughs> so, you know, no more alchemy, no more promises. <laughs> Damn well deliver on it. Show us. Um, <laughs> because cause I've had enough meetings with clients that sort of say, everybody's coming in and saying the same thing. Uh, yeah, I'm saying the same thing, but I can do it. That's the difference. <laughs> so those are, two, those are two big examples. So four months deployment, 500% improvement in effectiveness, and, and by the way, that does not mean, oh, we need to reduce staff. No. What that means is the productivity of your costs have just gone through the roof. And you finally got a business that is actually protecting the institution instead of just getting an attaboy from the regulators. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the effectiveness piece is, is really focusing on that effectiveness and driving that effectiveness as you, you know, is really is really what it's all what it's all about right i mean having the effective program at the end of the day is what matters not reducing false positives or reducing staff or creating more efficiency those are all you know 
those, those are all theoretically nice um, and maybe byproducts, but it is it is ultimately effectiveness. Um, so it, 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 that is the word that needs to be used. False positives, yeah. cost reduction, institutionalize the very crimes that we are facilitating. Hmm. We need we need we need to refocus ourselves. We need to get the regulators to refocus. We need to be able to say, hold on a minute, we have a mission. That mission is to protect the system. That mission is to stop these heinous crimes that are the worst of human conduct that for some peculiar reason we're facilitating because we're not fully armed in stopping it. We've got mm -hmm. a great army. We've got a great army and everybody listening to this podcast, we need to give them the right weaponry to win the war. Hmm. I, like, I like that analogy quite a lot. And particularly like uh, transaction monitoring is over. That, that's, a, that's an eye-catching one. <laughs> not, not, not my quote, actually. Global <laughs> banker. The banks all <laughs> know it. The problem is he's getting it, getting it out. Right. So, right. you know, what, what, what firms like us do is don't, don't get it out. Just leave it where it is. <laughs> um, uh, you know, but give it some TLC to stop investing in it. And, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and then just run above it. And then eventually you can sunset the system fairly easily. Um, but, you know, just throwing good money after bad, uh, you, know, you know, is, is wrong. And, and, and the fascinating thing is we don't, we don't use any technology from 20 years ago. Maybe a core banking system. But 20 years ago, the iPhone didn't even exist. 20 years ago, the, the Internet was just beginning to really take off. Uh, you know, why are we using one of the most important systems of intelligence, the protection of the brand, the protection of the system? Why are we using a system or the, 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 the banking system? Why are we using technology from 20 years ago? It, it's, it's a question that has to be continually asked, and we've got to get innovation into that. The, the, what we have to do, though, and, and this is on companies like me, is not say the firm, oh, you've got to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Here's a $10 million five-year implementation. No, this is how it fits. This is how the, it integrates with the workflow. This is how it integrates with your existing case management tool. This is the productivity it creates. And this is how we can get going and get it up and live within four months. And then you've, you, Mr. Banker, can make lots of decisions about what your future is going to be. That's not our job. It's their job then. Mm -hmm. Tone from the top, risk appetite, technology investment, change management, type of staffing, all of that. At that point, they say, okay, I've got everything I need to be able to make decisions rather than desperately trying to keep this antiquated, ineffectual investment in a TMS still going. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a fantastic That's a fantastic point. And I think maybe that's a... A fantastic point to to close out on there um, because it really drives at home you know what we're what we're trying to accomplish and what's coming what's coming next um, and that's really what all this is about right it's it's uh, as you as you properly note not relying on things that we've done since the 70s 80s whatever the case may be but uh, uh, innovating and thing uh, that is new. Um, not necessarily brand new, um, but new, not just because it's, you know, the hype cycle um, and uh, 
the hot new thing and over promised, but new because it achieves greater effectiveness. So, um, so thank yeah. you much, so much, Simon, for the guide, uh, guiding us on these topics today. I love the insights. Um, I love the passion and I love the willingness to be direct and truthful. So, uh, really appreciate it and a uh, pleasure having you on this program. Brian, thanks for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. So hopefully we'll talk again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to have you back. This is a rapidly changing field uh, and there's a mm -hmm. lot going on. Um, so thanks everybody for listening. Please tune in to the next episode of The Crimecast. You'll find it on Spotify, Apple, uh, or most of your other favorite podcast platforms. Appreciate you being here. Join us again soon.